I want to emphasize on some of these words with what we're talking about this morning. Paul has just laid out basically the entire letter. Showing how here is men, we're all guilty of sin. We all deserve the wages that are just and fair because of our sins. And God gave us life while we're enemies. And after he says that, he says, now I want you to present your members as slaves to righteousness. Says that in the sixth chapter. And after he makes that statement, he goes on talking about how, well, even as you present yourself this way, you struggle. You battle back and forth between that flesh and that righteousness. And he goes on from even that to says, but you know, as we looked at last um, Sunday, but because we're in Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation. And after he makes that statement, then he goes on to give the history of the Israelites how here they had the whole law and rejected the Messiah. And how these Gentiles were grafted in and able to receive salvation through the unbelief of these, Gen- of these Jews. But he says, now, don't think you're better than they are because they're part of that original vine. And these branches can be grafted back in, if you will, after they've been away, if, in fact, they would believe. And it makes all this case known so that whether they be Jew or Gentile at the church at Rome, that they would all realize what blessings that they have. And, well, Steve, the prayer is exactly what we're talking about. The fact that we'd be so overwhelmed by what God has done for us that we would love to walk with Him. They would yearn for such. And so with that in mind, how is it that Paul would ever need to make an urgent plea for brethren to be changed from the ways of flesh to that which is one who longs for and walks with and abides in the Spirit? You stop and think about that. You have all these things of all that has been given to you and you would think it's just an automatic no-brainer we would all be so grateful we'd give ourselves to the Lord. Am I the only one who thinks that way? Or do you all agree that you would think we'd all be so happy that we'd want to give ourselves to God? And yet, the plea is still given. Every day, this plea has to be made to each and every one of us. I was just going to say this. I was going to save it for... The end of this lesson, but I might just say it twice. So we'll see how I, how I run with this. But I stop and think about here we have so much given to us. How would we praise God? Would we praise Him like as if reading song, uh, reading words from a song, or that those words, if in fact we know the song, come from the depths of our heart and just bellows out to our God? I mean, we're lost in praise. How about when this afternoon we have an opportunity to to learn some songs and sing some songs praising God? We may have responsibilities. We may have other things that would keep us here. But let's just say our time is there. Or that we could make that time to come and practice these songs. That we would so be overwhelmed with joy having worshipped God this morning. Let's do it again. The opportunity avails us. Or... Would there need to be an elder 
named Ron Adams, making an urgent plea. Come back. Let's worship our God in songs. Let's learn some of the songs or do better with some of these songs that we may know but may not be comfortable singing. You see, this is an urgent plea, I, I believe, that takes place every day among all brethren at one point or another. Some brethren need to hear it. Others are saying, don't have to urge me. I'm there. But the following week, that person, that brother or sister in Christ may need that very urgent plea given to him or her. And so these are the things that Paul is presenting to his brothers and sisters in Christ after already making that plea earlier in this letter. And I believe we need the same. So the question is, why is there a need? And I believe he answers it in this book, in this letter. I believe it's because here we are. We live in this world. I believe the very nature that we have is fleshly. I mean, the fact that I have to teach Carolyn how to behave and I don't need to teach her how to misbehave tells me something about Carolyn. Ordain. Or Levi. Or Carly. Or Allie, who's not here. Or Malia. And let me just swallow myself a little bit. I don't know if that's even good English. <laughs> swallow my pride. Whatever you swallow. <laughs> Mitch Davis needs to learn how to put away that man of the flesh. My beloved bride, putting up with me 18 years today, needs to learn how to put away the flesh. And I'd venture to say, not just the Davis nation, but everyone who ever has been born needs to learn this. I believe it is unnatural. After I read and read and read and read the Scriptures over and over, and I see lives fulfilled, I see it's unnatural for us to live godly lives. I believe it become more natural-like, if you will, but it goes against the flesh that wars against the Spirit. And what a wonderful thing that it would be so natural for us to always, from the time we wake up in the morning till the time we go to bed, 24-7 every single day, it be natural for us to live to God's glory, bar none. That we are well-pleasing at all times to Him. But the fact is, we wake up and things challenge us from the get-go. And those challenges take place in war within our members. And we struggle every day. I believe that's what we are faced with. And conversely then, because it's natural for us to be fleshly and not necessarily spiritually minded, the obvious next question is, well then is it impossible for us who live in the flesh to be changed, to be spiritually minded. And I want to tell you right now, not only is it not impossible, with God all things are possible. We can be spiritually minded. That's what we're taking this from last week to now. Looking at this urgent plea that we walk in the Spirit, that we live with these minds that long for God always. And brethren, this is a mindset that is so drastically warring within us that when we can overcome by faith, I believe you're going to see a completely different person. You just fill whatever name in the blank. Every single person who's ever been born that gives themselves over to God can be so drastically changed that people look at you and know you from your past and say, who's this new person? That's what can be said of each person who is in Christ Jesus. 
And those are the things that I want us to, to look at. Well, the obvious answer is, is found in this letter. And, of course, it's found in the Scriptures elsewhere. Is that what makes you change is a life-changing message. Before giving myself to the Lord, everything that I knew, everything that I thought that made Mitch to think this is right and this is wrong was based upon what I knew. And I didn't know much. I've mentioned to you in times past that my teacher was Phil Donahue, among others. Not a very good teacher, mind you. But that's what I had. I didn't have the upbringing of Jesus as the Christ, and He is my teacher. He is my Savior. He is the one that I follow after every day. didn't know anything about Him. Today, there are many people in this world, even when they hear who Jesus Christ is, but don't have a relationship with Him, they don't know any better. And here's the message that they have, and I know I'm going to have to preface this. My children beg me not to use this as an illustration. Sorry, children. The message that we have so it's very popular today. Parents, you probably don't know what I'm talking about as this illustration. Kids probably know exactly who I'm talking about with this message. God makes no mistake. Baby, I was born this way. It's a popular song today. And everyone is buying into it. I was born this way. I was born angry. I was born uh, grumpy. I was born whatever it is that to give you an excuse to justify sinful behavior. I'm born this way. And God is the one who made me. Therefore, it's okay. That's what the world says. And you know what else? You could even find scripture that says something similar to this. In Jeremiah chapter 13, verse 23, have you ever heard the phrase, that a leopard cannot change its spots. You ever heard that? Jeremiah 13, verse 23. Leopard cannot change its spots. Of course, the context there is that the Israelites were so depraved in their minds, no matter what was given to them, they weren't going to change, they weren't going to repent, they weren't going to give themselves over to God. And so he uses that illustration. Or you can use Matthew chapter 7. Remember from verses 15 following? Verse, I believe, 17. We'll look at that passage in just a little while. A bad tree cannot bear forth good fruit. It's bad. It's not going to bear forth good fruit. A good tree cannot bear forth bad fruit. So if that's the case, the obvious question I have then is, well, how then can a plea be made for someone to change? If, in fact, Mitch Davis is immoral, and listen, knowing God's Word and knowing my life before a child of God, it qualifies. And I honestly thought I was a morally upright person. I thought, I'm a good guy. Hadn't killed anyone yet. Hadn't stolen from anyone yet. At least what my version of stealing was. Hadn't done any of these other things that other people that I knew had done. So I'm good. And when I look at God's word and I see something that tells me what true righteousness looks like, it all falls apart. And now I'm told that I'm born depraved. I'm born this way. You got the world's teaching. You got Calvinistic teaching, a, a number of other things that says, here's who we are. 
How can we change? And then you have God's word saying, here's a bad tree, like a bad person, can't change. And now I'm reading Romans chapter 12 and I'm told to change. I'm told to be transformed by the renewing of my mind that I may prove or discern, depending on your translation, what God's will is. So how do we answer that? And I believe the gospel is that answer. We're told in Romans chapter 1 verse 16 that the gospel is God's power unto salvation for everyone who believes. From the Jew first to the Greek. That's God's power of salvation. It is the means by which the message that tells us here's who you are without God. In fact, he goes on to tell us that, right? Verse 18 following. Those who see God but deny Him, reject Him, aren't thankful for who He is and what He's done. But with this message... We're told we can have this salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we have. Here's this message that is supposed to be able to let us know who we are and the salvation we can have in Christ Jesus. That's the gospel message. And it is with this message that as you read verse 17 and the last part of verse 17 that we see that through the gospel it reveals the righteousness of God. Well, what does that imply for us then? That we're unrighteous. In fact, someone was bringing that out in our Bible class. And this is an inference that we need to make. That when I stand before a holy God, I stand before Him without the blood of Jesus as unholy. I stand deserving condemnation and death because of my sin. So here's the gospel. It reveals the righteousness of God. And it also reveals this. Our need to live by faith in Jesus as the Christ. That's what it says. In fact, I want us to read what it says here in, in Romans 1 verse 17 so that we get, or verses 16 and 17, so we get the full effect of what Paul is saying to the saints there. He says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. Well, what does that mean? You know what we think immediately for many brethren today? We think by obedience. And there is an element of truth in that, but if you just leave it to that, you leave out so much. If it is just a matter of obedience, why would we need a Savior? If all we have to do is do the Lord's will. But we fail at it, right? There's the urgent plea to be changed. But we still fail. So where's the faith in? Well, when you read Romans chapter 4 and Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 6, Romans chapter 7, Romans chapter 8, you get the picture. It always goes back to Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 4, here's Abraham, the father of faith. Well, what, does that, what was that whole dialogue about in Romans chapter 4, but pointing to Christ? Romans chapter 5, the contrast between Jesus and Adam, pointing to him. Romans chapter 6, that by the, by the fact that we've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, we present ourselves as members of righteousness, slaves of righteousness 
to him. Romans chapter 7, but we struggle in this way. But thanks be to God, verse 25, for him. Romans chapter 8, that nothing separates us from him. And so on and so forth. You get the message. The gospel is showing us from faith to faith. The righteousness of God and our need to live by faith. That standard of righteousness. The very righteousness that is credited to us because of that faith. And so it is this living by faith that brings about a substantive change. So you can look at someone's life and say, here's the way they were before they heard the gospel message and what Jesus had done for us. And now here's what he lives like today because of this message. Brethren, I'll tell you right now, I don't know of any better example than my own life, because I know myself better than I know you, that I can see that change. I see it. You don't see a perfect person. You see someone who loves God and tries to give himself over to God's will and does it and fails miserably at times, but he tries. There's a change going on. There's a struggle within my life every single day. And when we talk about, well, but I've got problems, I got this, I got this, Mitch, you have nothing on, on me. You've got it much easier. Guess what? I struggle mightily in my own way. I may not have your problem, but does it minimize mine? Does it not minimize the struggle that I have to give myself to God because I want to please Him and that I fail at times? I fail because of my selfishness. I fail because of my pride. I fail because of so many reasons. But I strive to live by faith. Brethren, that's what you are encouraged with and, and urged to do in your life. And so when we look at this plea, here's how we know this message. Knowing this life-changing message is one thing. It's all like Bible study. To me, it means nothing if it's just left right in the classroom. It means nothing. Knowing the message, the life-changing message of the, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is different than someone who becomes that living sacrifice. The one who says, I saw what my Savior has done for me, as Ron had mentioned and, and others have mentioned, the love that has been shown to us, and now we know how to love. Well, that's what sacrifice is, right? I mean, just look up W.E. Vine's dictionary. Agape. And then you see the definition, seeking what? The betterment of others' li other lives. That's the generic definition of love. Giving up self for someone else. Brethren, that's when we know there's a change with the way we're living our life currently and one that is completely pleasing to God. It's a drastic change. It's like, you know, when you go from parenthood or from single to being married and then from being, being husband and wife to now being parents. I just spoke with a young mom yesterday. She adopted, um, she and her husband adopted a child. And I asked her, what's parenting like? She said, everything has changed. Literally overnight, everything changes. I see Whitney going like this. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it, it does, doesn't it? You go from, well, hon, what do you want to do tonight? Well, I know what we're doing every night now. <laughs> we're raising baby number one. 
it's a sense of sacrifice on a daily basis. But what is it that you want to do, right? As new, new parents, what do you want to do? You want to sleep, right, at night. Can't sleep. You sacrifice. I can hear Julie, but Mitch, you slept a lot. <laughs> you get the point. <laughs> you sacrifice. Your life changes. And it's a struggle because you want to be able to do this, but you need to be doing this. And then you get this, I despise my child, selfishness, versus I gladly give up that sleep to have my child raised up to the glory of God. I mean, what a different attitude. It's a life change as parents. Well, the same thing is true in the Lord. The same thing is true when we're trying to go from this natural fleshly living to what is unnatural for our fleshly life. Living according to the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit of the Lord. Being a living sacrifice every single day. That's the plea that Paul gives. He says, brethren, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you can live daily for Him. That's what we're told. So here's someone... You take someone who has been living according to the ways of this world. All he or she knows is I'm number one. Because I was told that every single day at school. I was told that every single day on TV. I was told that every single day on the radio. I was told that every single day on whatever media channel that I could get fixed on. I'm number one. God made me in this way. You deal with it. How do you take that person... And make it so that you esteem someone else's greater than you are. Because that's just not natural. And yet we're told in Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4 to do exactly that. How do you take someone that says, this is my life. I'm going to live the way I want to live. And say, Lord, you own me. You created me. You purchased me back by the blood of your son. How can I give you my will? How do you do that? And it's through this gospel message. And that is why you take someone who thinks and speaks and lives just like the world and say, how does he change? He changes because he gives himself over to the Lord because he's transformed. And that transformation is not easy. And brethren, we have got to understand this so clearly because this is what we do to our own brothers and sisters in Christ who have just obeyed the gospel. We expect him to be perfect immediately. How is that possible when you are not even perfect? How is it possible when I have so much further to, to grow in the Lord? But I hear it. I see it. And it hurts when I see brethren taking a young baby in Christ and somehow that very next day they have to be completely changed. You're supposed to repent. Well, of course they're needing to repent. But is repentance a one second change and all of a sudden you're just perfect? Sometimes we treat each other that way. And we forget the long-suffering of God toward our own lives. Do you know that transformation is a slow and difficult process? I use the butterfly as that background, right? But why? Because the cocoon, that metamorphosis period. I'm no scientist. I would love, if anyone who loves and knows about the transformation of a, of a worm, not worm, 
caterpillar. <laughs> See, I'm really bad. <laughs> into a butterfly. You stop and think about the changes that actually go on. I mean, it's hard enough for my mind to wrap around the fact that you have, when a, when a mother becomes pregnant or a woman becomes pregnant, and here's a, a change going on in her body. I, I can't imagine what goes on that way. Imagine your whole body changing from one to another. It's got to be a painful, difficult trial of a process. But when the process is complete, how different does that caterpillar look? That turns into a beautiful, gorgeous butterfly. The same thing is true. You take someone that is looking so ugly. And I'm going to use Miss Vesta as an example. The sister in Christ who passed away about two years ago. I forget who I was telling over here. Miss Vesta told me when I met her, she was the equivalent of a filthy mouth drunken sailor. She went into the service, learned a new tongue. While there, lived as worldly and fleshly as could be. And I remember when she was in her early 60s, I got a phone call, never met her in my life until that day. She had a question about the scriptures. She became a Christian that night. And over the course of three years before she passed away, you saw a woman who would just tear you upside down, left side, right, whatever which way you can think of with her tongue to a sweet and tender woman who gave herself to God. Imagine the process that she had to go through. The change. It's not easy. It's a battle. But this is what happens when we, by faith, give ourselves over to Jesus Christ. And when we can discern what is that good and perfect, acceptable will of God. That's our reasonable service. That's our reasonable worship, if you will, that we have. And so what we have is this mindset that says, it's my will. To all of a sudden saying, Lord, I'm learning how to behave as, as if every moment of my life, what is it you want? I want to please you. Do you know that in Matthew chapter 17 and verse 2, as well as in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18, that's the very word for transformation found in Romans 12. When, when the closest of Jesus' disciples saw Jesus with Moses, with Elijah, and saw Jesus transfigured, they saw him actually change this is the very thing that Paul says to the church at Rome and to the church uh, at Corinth, that you need to make this change. In fact, in reading 2 Corinthians chapter 3, note the tone in which he uses this phrase and how he uses it. Backing up, it says over here, speaking of the Jews, beginning in verse 12, Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech, unlike Moses, who put a veil over his face so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the end of what was passing away. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, that same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So you take that bad tree, you take that 
soul that is unrepentant, not believing in the Lord, to now believing in Him. The veil is lifted. The veil is taken away. And the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. There's this freedom. There's this this change. And notice, but we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. Notice the tense. We are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. This change that takes place because we believe in Jesus Christ and all that God has done for us in and through His His precious Son causes us to change. We... We don't know how this takes place, but it does. And every day you're looking at souls that once lived one way that is so heinous and ugly. And that precious soul who's been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, while yet an enemy of the Father, turns around and gives his life. That's true transformation. That's when you can see... Miracles, if you will, if I can use that term this way. Where what is unnatural, you take the natural man who is just so fleshly and doing that which the world just thinks is crazy, upside down, and now living in a completely different way that is well-pleasing to God. Amazing grace, how can it be? We just sang that song. That's how. Because we have a life-changing message that changes lives every single day so that now we are able to live in such a manner as pleasing to God. We know we can discern what is good, what is perfect, because we see it in Jesus Christ. And we follow after that. We wouldn't know how to love without the love of God. We wouldn't know how to build each other up in the way that we can see God building us up. Everything would be just on a real superficial level at best or temporary, or inconsistent at best. But with God, you see a life change. Brethren, here's the mark that I want you to see in your own life. I believe you can get to this point. And we were bringing this up in our Bible class this morning. That we are told in Galatians chapter 2, in verses uh, 19 and 20, when we read the text here, what life is like when God has His Son living in us. We are told here in verse 19, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Here's what it looks like. You take someone who thinks of only self, to now asking the question, how can I sin sin against God? Remember Joseph? When temptation came his way through Potiphar's wife? How can I sin against my God? Or even better, being proactive and saying, how can I please my God? What can I do that brings joy to my God? That's how I want to live. Or how about this? How do my thoughts, my speech, and my actions affect your life? 
we are, I remember our school principal back in Georgia telling the children every single day on the school TV, think before you speak, think before you act. How is it that we can go from, you know, how does this affect, to how can I actually show love to my neighbors that you are thinking about others? That's being able to esteem others is better than self, that you're putting others first. What does that look like? I believe these are the marks of a person who is being transformed each day. And I believe that struggle takes place. I believe just as surely as I stand here this morning that some may be in this room didn't even want to come here this morning to worship God. Is that possible that what I'm saying is true? Because I've heard Christians say, you know, I just didn't feel like coming to worship God. I'd rather just stay home. I don't feel so good. But then they come, whether it's this morning or maybe on a Wednesday night. And when, when done, say, man, I'm so glad I came. I'm so uplifted. That happens. And maybe it's, oh, I don't want to go and visit with so-and-so. I don't want to do this. Because I'd rather, guys, rather watch the game. Rather, rather meet at Jonathan, wherever Jonathan is. <laughs> Needle over at his house and watch the game. He's got a big TV. He's got the NFL package. He's got the Alabama network. I'd rather do that. I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you. Well, maybe I am, but I'm really not. I want you to want to give yourself to God. I want you to want to be a living sacrifice. And yes, we're going to struggle with it. But as we get closer and closer to the Lord, what is so unnatural becomes more and more natural to us. To live morning, noon, and night, glorifying God in the way we think and relate to Him every day. That we desire to worship Him. We desire to praise His name with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with everyone. And to give up our selfish desires to glorify Him, to help others. That's well-pleasing. That's His will. And we know exactly how we can go about doing so when we give our lives to Him.